0: Well, if you'll join me for just uh, 30 seconds, kneel before the Lord, ask Him to bless our time together. We thank you, Father, for this uh, privilege of speaking before your people. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in this worship service, beautiful Honaka'a on this Sabbath day. Please bless, help us to. Yield our hearts and minds to you. Enlighten us through thy Holy Spirit. May I be an instrument in your hands today to bless, and give praise and honor to you, I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So as Linda was singing the song, I... I reflected on how much I love her. And, and I, I couldn't help but, but uh, remember that she is actually the first prayer that I made to the Lord after I became a Christian. Because one night before I accepted Christ, um, I I realized uh, that at that point in time, when I was, uh, I guess I was 23 and in the, in the Navy, uh, at Pearl Harbor, that I needed two things in my life. It's like God told me I needed two things. Number one, he said, you need me. And then it's like he told me, and you need a good wife. That was like an acknowledgement of some other Missing part. You know, not, I'm sure not everyone needs a good husband or a good wife. God would, God is sufficient of himself. And he is, of course. But some of us need companionship. And so Linda was the first, the first uh, other than God uh, need in my life that God met. Because within probably one month of of my um, praying that prayer, I got a crazy letter from my older brother, who's not a Christian to this day. And he was a typical older brother who knew everything. I knew nothing. He did everything right. I did everything wrong. I was, you know, stupid and idiot, etc. And one of the things that uh, he said, uh, "Was that I needed to go home on leave from the Navy, uh, and it was around uh, item number 17 on a list of about 20 things that I needed to do to stop being so stupid and be happy. And number 17 was I needed to meet this girl that worked where he worked. My brother was already married. I figured, and and uh, next number number 18 was marry her." And uh, then, like 19, was go back to Hawaii and have a wife or whatever. And, uh, and I just figured, well, he must just, he must have, uh, he must really like her. He must fall in love with her. And he doesn't know how to make it okay. So he's going to, like, let his little brother have her. So um, as it turns out, I, I wasn't going to go home on leave. I wasn't going to have anything to do with his list of 20 items to fu- make my life a fulfilled life. And, uh, but after about uh, three or four weeks of my typical Navy duties at Pearl Harbor, I was totally sick of the, the office that I worked at and the way the people were doing things, and I felt desperate to get out of there. And I put in for leave, and uh, lo and behold, within a couple of days it was approved, and within a week I was on a plane to go home to New York to my parents' house. So when I was there, a phone call. I got a phone call, It's my older brother from Washington, D.C., and he wants to know, he thinks I'm following his 20 things because I'm there on time, you see? I had come home on leave, he was sure that, you know, maybe I had, you know, done 15 things and I was close to 17, and he says, where are you? Why aren't you here? And I said, "What do you mean? What are you talking about? Where, you know?" Well, first of all, he says, "Where are you?" I says, "I'm right here. You know where I am." He said, "Why aren't you here?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, I don't have any intention of of seeing you. I don't have time to come come by and see you." He says, "No, not to see me. To see, you know, to see." I said, "Oh, I don't think I'm going to do that." He said, "If you if you don't if you don't come down here to Washington." and meet her, you'll be making the biggest mistake of your life. I said, oh, I got some other plans. If I'm gonna travel, I'm gonna go up to Boston and see somebody else. He said, no, you'll be making the biggest mistake of your life, you, you're gonna embarrass me, embarrass her, and make the biggest mistake of your life. You better get on a plane and come here. In those days, you could make a plane reservation, you know, in a day. So I, so I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll come. And I went down to Washington and after being there for about a day or two, I met this girl. And within about a week, we decided to get married. That was 40 years ago. That's Linda. And once we decided, once, once we told him that we, we didn't have time to get married there in Washington, that Linda was, her, our plan was for her to come back to Hawaii and we'd, we'd get married in Hawaii. As soon as we told him that, he became exactly the opposite of what he had tried to promote where he had offered even to pay my way home and back to Hawaii, all of a, which he did none of that by the way. But all of a sudden he was totally against it, how can you make such a decision? Uh, and after less than a week of knowing each other, this will be like, like, what a major disaster, put this on hold, maybe in a year you should think, of, in other words, completely the opposite. And about a year or two later, when I suggested to him that God had used him to answer my prayer, he became very offended and angry. And to this day, he's still offended and angry, by the way, that God could have used him to answer somebody's prayer. So anyway, so that's, in a way, um, uh, Le- uh, Brother Leroy said to me, well, tell, your, tell them about your do- some of some of the adventure of your daughters coming here uh, successfully to Hawaii uh, this past month. And, it, I mean, part of the story is how I met the, their mother. And we decided to get married because they wouldn't be existent, existent if uh, it hadn't been for that beginning. And uh, if we have time, I'll tell you a little bit about the girls' adventure, getting here to Hawaii. I've got, I've got all kind of messages in my cell phones from my daughters in their journey from, their last journey, as a, mes- a message from my oldest one about their experience at church in Maui right now. <laughs> but uh, I've got all these messages about their journey from Iowa, to Arizona and then their journey from Arizona to San Diego and then from San Diego to Maui. And I mean and the Lord answered prayer after prayer and and in some cases true miracle after miracle to get them here. But relative to those two being here specifically so that my oldest girl can do medical missionary work was a story of a, of a four-year-old girl going to the hospital with me on Sabbaths and Sundays as I make, made rounds on orthopedic patients. And, and her telling me the first time as a little four-year-old that when she grew up she wanted to become a nurse. And then she proceeded to tell me how she liked their shoes, she liked their stockings, they were real nice. And then about two months later, while we were in the hospital, she said, Daddy, I have to talk to you about something very important. And I said, well, when we leave the hospital and we go into the car, we can talk about it. We can talk about this important thing. And when we got into the car, she sat in her little seat in the passenger side, and She took a deep breath and she told me, Daddy, when girls grow up, they become nurses, and when boys grow up, they become doctors. And I quickly thought, what is she telling me? And I realized that in this particular little hospital that she had had the opportunity to to look around and go into patients' rooms, sit on their beds and talk to them, get balloons and candy from the patients and whatnot, talk to the nurses, that all she had ever seen were women nurses and men doctors. There were no women doctors and there were no men nurses. And so I felt she's telling me that she is going to accept a gender thing, willingly, but in just raising the question, I thought in her heart, that's not what she wants. So I said, Melissa, girls can grow up to become doctors if that's what they want. If you want to become a doctor, you can become a doctor. And she was quiet for a little while, and she said, Daddy, when I grow up, I'm becoming a doctor. And so that was, that was where the beginning of our oldest girl becoming a doctor happened. She never changed her mind, and only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ did it happen. Linda can tell you there were many phone calls the first year in medical school. There were all kinds of trials and difficulties even before getting into medical school. And then there was a no. There was no residency available when she graduated from medical school, and it just, it just appeared out of nowhere. The last moment, and I had a dream where I'm asking doctors if there's any opening in any residency any opening in any residency for my daughter and a lady doctor in my dream sitting in a in a bus where all these doctor professors were sitting and going somewhere she said well there is one there is one place in a residency and i said well what residency is it And she said, it's in the blowing in and out, it's in the blowing in and out residency. And like you, in the dream, I don't know what she's talking about. I don't. I say, what's that? And I'm trying to be the smart guy, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. And the only thing I can think of is ear, nose, and throat, and I try to say the, the Latin, you know, the big word, otolaryngology, but in my dream I can't pronounce it correctly. It's embarrassing. I try like two times to say autolaryngology and it comes out garbled and messed up. And she says to me, do you mean autolaryngology? <laughs> she says to me the way it's supposed to be said. And, and I say, oh yes, yes. And it's, she, doesn't really quite, she doesn't really answer me. She tells me, essentially, our interview is over. See, I wasn't supposed to ask them. I'd already been rebuked and rebuffed by about two or three men doctors that I wasn't supposed to ask that question. And so I had just in, timidly but boldly for my daughter approached this one lady, my, like the last possibility so when she said kind of like it's like the conversation's over i kind of felt like okay okay thank you for telling me what you told me and i backed off and i woke up and i remembered the dream and i i thought it has something to do with what i have prayed about and jesus is letting is telling me something but but believe me i didn't know what that was about I said, "Lord, is this?" I got on my knees on the side of the bed. This is in—we uh, lived in Hawaii Kai—and I said, "Is this about—is this about Melissa's residency?" And it was like uh, in the spirit. I would say, "He said yes." And I said, "Well, thank you. N- n- I, you know, m- make it happen." And it was the four o'clock in the morning. I went back to sleep, and. It was either a, a Friday morning or a Sabbath morning. I think it was Friday morning. And that Sabbath, we're at church in Kailua. And then we had the potluck. And we're, I'm sitting at the table before the food is really kind of out there, and we're really beginning to eat. And the daughter who visits sometimes, who goes to like a Pentecostal church, the daughter of one of the church members says, who I, who I kind of had spoken to on a number of occasions, we're kind of friends, she says out loud, well, St- hey, Steve, have you had any dreams lately? And, and you know, I had forgotten about the dream until she said that. And I said, "Yeah, yes, I have. And she said, tell me about it. And I, I told her about the dream, you know, I was in this place, and I was in a doorway, and there were these buses going by. And, like, the th- I mean, this first, this bus came in, and all these, these like, medical uh, uh, professor-type doctors at a big medical center were there. And I, and I went up to, to them at the window, and I asked them about, do you have any residency? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't answer me. They told me, they couldn't tell me. They had to go away. And I finally went up to this lady doctor, and she said this. And I said, I still don't understand what the blowing in and out residency is. And she says, the young woman who's the daughter of the Seventh-day Adventist at Kailua Church, she says, well, duh, blowing in and out? Anesthesiology. I said, you really think so? Yes. Anesthesiology. Within within 20 or 30 minutes, Linda gets a a cell phone call from my daughter who tells her that about two days ago, one or two days ago, they got word, a telephone call, from a residency in New York State where they had a last-minute opening. Did she want to come for an interview? from Arizona to New York. In other words, fly to, Arizona, uh, to New York for an interview. And my daughter was saying, I don't think we can afford it. You know, it's probably not going to happen anyway. You know, because you get used to that. You put forth an effort, you put forth money, and it doesn't pan out anyway, so it was a waste of time and a waste of money. And so somehow I got involved in the conversation, and I said, what kind of residency is she talking about? And, she, and, and it was, guess what? I said, let me talk to her. I got on the phone and I said, Melissa, go to the interview. I don't know how much of it I told her. I said something like, maybe I had a dream. You're supposed to go. Don't worry about the money. We, we, can, we can pay for the airfare. Go, to the, go. So she goes. And she says that the uh, director of the program calls her into the office before, before she leaves, of course, just before she leaves, and, and he says, we don't normally do this. We usually send you a letter of rejection or acceptance, but in this case, we want to tell you, if you want it, it's yours. And of course, she took it. The truth was, she had nothing else. And she successfully went through a three-year anesthesiology residency. After about one year, she was doing a case with one of the attending professors, a lady anesthesiologist from Poland, originally. Kind of an accent. And while they're doing the case, she says, she said she's a nice lady. She was a nice lady and easy to work with. And during the case, she says, So, Melissa, how do you like the blowing in and out residency so far? She said, Dad, that's really what she said. How do you like the blowing in and out residency? So praise God. She completed the program successfully. She went to a year of, of uh, fellowship in regional anesthesia in Iowa last year, and she's ready to go. And she's here in Maui. What kind? What kind of station? You know, about revival, the first, by the way, I don't know if you realize this, but as a general rule, you know, you get very, very good medical care at large medical centers where it's a teaching hospital. They have all these, all these professors and residents and whatnot, but you don't ever want to go the first month or two when the new residents come in. It's true. It's true. There are doctors... Who have like notes by their bedstand that if they ever have to be you know taken to um, uh, you know to the hospital because of a heart attack or an emergency during certain months do not take them to such and such, take them somewhere else you know, because notoriously there's a, there's a lot of bad things that happen when the new residents come in because guess what they give them big responsibilities and they don't know anything. And the first month or two that my daughter was in her anesthesiology residency, she had night call for the whole hospital. And that meant that when a young woman in like her 30s, a young mother, stopped breathing in the intensive care unit, guess who they called? My daughter. Thank God that she she had a connection with God. Because as she ran up there, she prayed for the, for the person in crisis and for wisdom to know what to do. And she took charge, and she gave orders, and she put a tube in this lady's throat, even while she was still conscious and losing consciousness. And the last thing she, and the woman was, was rushed to the, emerg- to the uh, operating room by my daughter's Uh, command order and her life to everybody's surprise was saved and after a couple of days in intensive care she was on a regular to everyone's surprise apparently also she was in a regular hospital room and she was soon to be discharged well and after about a week or so maybe 10 days after that event at night where she had stopped breathing and it almost died. And my, my daughter told her, don't worry. Only by faith could you say this. My daughter's an honest girl. Only by faith could she tell this woman, before the, the woman lost consciousness, don't worry, I won't let anything bad happen to you. That's what she told her. Before she was intubated and lost consciousness. And so about seven or ten days after that event, my daughter finally had time. You know, they work them 16, 18 hours a day or more. And she finally had time to go catch up on some, you know, some rounds and some work. And she, she uh, found the chart of this lady who was now on a regular hospital floor. And she said, oh, I'm going to go see her. And, as soon- and when she walked in the room, there was a, a, a crowd, a group, of relatives and friends around the bedside, and as soon as my daughter walked in the in the room, the patient said, "That's everything stopped." And she said, "That's the doctor that saved my life." About about a month later, my daughter gets a call from one of the uh, one of the program directors, and she says, "You got to go to the uh, operating to, you have to go to, this, to surgery right away. Drop whatever you do and go up to surgery. My daughter's worried, you know what, what happened? You know What's the problem? Am I in trouble? And when she goes up to surgery, there are all these gifts, flowers, candy, various little gifts, a whole table full of gifts. Everybody in the surgery, knows that those gifts are for Melissa Koschel and that they were brought in by a patient for her. And it was that woman with a, with a note of, great, of gratitude and appreciation. So I mean, so she's already she was already used to save the lives of people and to touch their hearts. So praise God, please pray, please pray that the Lord bless her her ministry here in Hawaii and throughout the world. She's the kind of person who can get sincere surgeons willing to go do mission trips. She's an organizer. She's the kind of person who will make something happen and bring out the best in other people. So not only do a good work here in Hawaii, but maybe do a good great work in this whole part of the world because she's a willing a willing heart a little girl that that de- decided or listened to God's voice when she was 4 years old to become a doctor what i really what i what i wanted to talk to you about today is what do we do when for one reason or another it seems uh, like, it's gonna, like it's complicated for us to go back to the Lord. We've done something wrong that maybe makes us feel like our relationship. Satan has come along and said, well, God's not happy with you anymore. You're no longer pleasing to him. You did this, you did that. You broke your promise, you did something. Or you've allowed yourself to get distracted or to get too comfortable something has happened and for some reason you're having trouble getting on your knees, you're, getting, you're having trouble praying to the Lord, asking for forgiveness, asking Him to help you to be properly submissive or dependent upon Him. What do, what do you do under those circumstances? And what I, what I, what I think is the answer other than just Lord help me? One simple one simple request or simple prayer is to is to go back to the simplicity of what Jesus taught regarding how we talk to our Father in heaven. You, you know, you know, you know the prayer, right? And, and let's just take a quick look at Matthew uh, chapter 6. We're going to look over the first, the first uh, five verses real, care, real quickly. And, in Matthew chapter 6, here's an important element of you know, that simple prayer that just Lord help me. If you ask God to help you like that, just simple prayer, help me, chances are, I would say, in all probability, 99 times out of 100, you're asking him to help you sincerely. Uh, Maybe 100 out of 100 times. In other words, why why even utter the words in the direction of our creator God unless you mean it, unless you want help. But you see, there, there, you've already met one essential element of prayer, which is sincerity. Look at, look at uh, uh, the first five verses in chapter 6. Jesus is saying, look, don't do your acts of righteousness be careful not to get caught up in fake Christianity. Don't be like a hypocrite. Don't, fake, don't try to fake, fake your relationship with God. People who fake their relationship with God are going to get a faker's reward. They're not going to get anything of, that's good from God because you, you, don't, you don't use satanic uh, principles in your relationship with God. You can't deceive God. And don't try to deceive your neighbor about God. I mean, that's basically, I think, what it says. It says, if you're going to do something good, do it in secret. Don't do it to be seen by other people. And that's one of the things that we were talking about as far as uh, returning tithes and offerings. We would love to get to the place where you know we just have a treasure box the lord's treasury it's it's in it's in the church and you just put it in nobody you don't you don't got to 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 see what, whether anybody sees whether you put an envelope or money in the in the because it's between you and god nobody else so there's no pressure any good act is you do it for sincere reasons, nothing else. And then look at verse uh, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, he says, for they love to pray standing in the, in the churches and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward already. If that's what they wanted, attention, to be regarded by other people as righteous or holy, that's all they're going to get. They're going to get that. They're not going to get anything from your Heavenly Father for insincerity. And then it goes on to, uh, Jesus goes on to say uh, in verse 7, when you pray, don't keep babbling on like the pagans, thinking that by many words, you're somehow going to, you know, make an impression on God. Just, just speak to him in truth and sincerity. Could be cause, verse 8, your father knows what you need before what? You ask him. So if your father knows what you need before you ask him, why ask him? What's, what's the value of asking him? What can you think of? It, it, helps, it, it helps us, right? We have a That's right. We have a relationship, an understanding, an appreciation that, that the blessings do come from Him, whether it be material things or spiritual needs being met, uh, confusions cleared up, problems solved, encouragement. Fear removed, cast out, love put in. All the good gifts come from the Father above. And to ask him for them puts us in a position of understanding where they come from and we have a relationship with him. Right? That's, that's very good. So, and asking him maybe does something else too. When you ask someone for something, insincerity what's your relationship to to a human being if you ask them in sincerity for something anybody yeah i mean humility right i mean to su- i mean you have to you're kind of being on you have a need and in humility, you're asking for the you're a- pl- please, thank you. So I mean, there's something about the posture of asking our heavenly Father for what we need, a good posture in relation to the King of the universe and the supplier of all life. So then, let's look at the prayer, and and instead of instead of um, reading it the way it reads in our various translations what i'm going to do what i think you'll enjoy is i'm going to read a literal translation of the greek text so you can fill in the gaps of this of the sense of this prayer okay i think it's kind of fun to do that so here is the prayer he says jesus said thus therefore Now remember, this is just awkward English based on translating Greek. Okay? Thus, therefore, pray you. Thus, therefore, pray you. Father of us, the one in heaven. How about that? Father of us, the one in heaven. Let it be hallowed your name. Let it be, It it sounds like not only is your name hallowed and holy, but let it be among us hallowed your name. How about that? The name of you. Let it come, the kingdom of you. Where's that kingdom going to come? On earth and in here. Let it come the kingdom of you. Let it come the will of you. Isn't that good? As in heaven, also on earth. We know the will of him takes place in heaven, right? This is the problem spot. Let it come also on earth. The bread of us daily, I like this, the bread of us daily give to us today. Now bread, you know, I mean, bread and and water are obviously the most essential. But I'd say translate bread, every single need that we have. Daily need, give to us today. Meet our needs today. It's implied, right? Please, of course. And forgive us the debts of us. Now, what are the debts of us that we owe God? Uh, uh, We we, we violated violated our relationship with God. We violated his his law, right? And, And not bring us, oh, wait, wait. Forgive us the debts of us, as indeed we forgave, forgave the debtors of us. And bring us, and not bring us into temptation, but rescue us from evil. So, aren't there some things that people can do to us where we just don't feel like forgiving them? We just don't feel like it. Uh, Linda, Linda pointed out to me last night, I think I raised that question, that, well, you know, people do some really, really, really horrible things to other people. So if you don't feel like forgiving them, what, what could be that, on a practical basis, how do you get to ask God to forgive you and be able to honestly say, as I have already forgiven, and you could name the specific person and even the specific violation. How, on a practical basis, do you get to pray that prayer? How can forgiveness come into your heart when you don't feel like forgiving? Does anybody have an idea? After the war, after his sister had died, she saw him at one of her Corey Boom's um, meetings. And she knew it was him. Does anybody remember reading that story in Corey Ten Boom's book? I mean, I I think I read the same book that Linda did. I remember what happened in that story. He actually came up to her and asked her to... I mean, God made it really easier for Corey Ten Boom to have the victory there because until she saw that man, she did not realize how much anger and resentment and hatred was still being harbored in her born-again Christian heart toward the abusers and actually the murderers of her beloved sister. And this man, who was now a Christian, came up and asked Cory Ten Boom to forgive him. And she said that she trembled. I remember reading that she, like, started to tremble. And the only way that she, she knew what, what Christ's direction is, and the only way that it happened was she asked Jesus to put forgiveness in her heart for this man. And as she chose to obey God's command, the forgiveness occurred. You see, so It was not a feeling, it was a a choice. She made a choice to do that which God directed. And I think part part of it, I think, is to realize that although we may not have done some of the horrible things that other humans have done, maybe to us, that in our own way, we're guilty of similar sins. Just may not have the same particulars and magnitude. So I think that's the that's the simplicity of coming to the Lord and knowing that He's going to come to us. That He's He's going to meet us and help us with our need. But we know that there's other type, other types of prayer. You know, we, uh, we talked about the relationship of asking God. Well, what was the relationship that Enoch had with God? He got to the place where they had ongoing conversation. I mean, it was no longer down to the basics of let your name be hallowed, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, it involved that but it involved sharing every aspect of the life. And that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have a relationship with him that's ongoing, where we tell him everything that we're feeling and thinking and our hopes and our victories and our discouragements and sharing as much of our total life with God as possible. This past year, as a result of doing nothing more, I want you to know something. You guys have done, I know that you've done this, but I remember about a year and a half or two years ago, I had some stones. It was my idea that if I give you a stone, if you take a stone from me, you'll know that I'll pray for you, that I'll be praying for you on a consistent basis. I want you to know that the fruit of those prayers you know, I don't know what to pray. If I know a specific, I might mention the specific, but mostly when I'm praying for the person by name, I'm saying, "Lord, help them to confess their sins, be forgiven, and cleansed of all unrighteousness." You think that really helps them? Oh, yes. Amen. And I started praying, I prayed, I've been praying for about a year or two for one of the doctors that I work with. And about seven months ago, or eight months ago, somehow some spiritual subject came up. I tried to, you know, you gotta be careful. Don't, don't go too far, don't say too much. And he said something to me like, you, you do something at the church. You do something at the church? And I said, well, yeah, from time to time they asked me to teach, like a Bible study or something. You know, oh, I, I could tell that, he said. Then the next thing I knew, he's telling me that he's troubled about something. And you know what he was troubled about? He normally would go, like, to a foreign country for a, like, a, a little, like, personal mission trip. And he had gone to Haiti the year before, and he was going to go to Haiti. He had all plans, everything was locked in to go to Haiti for about a month in like the end of October, early November. And he said, I have this misgiving about it. And we had never really talked about anything deep or real before. And he's telling me he has a misgiving about it. And I said, well, in my experience, we're about the same age, might be a few years younger. I said, in my experience, when you have that kind of a feeling, you should go with it. Don't fight it. Don't rationalize it. Because it may be from God, that feeling. I mean, you know, try to find out. But I say, and I gave them two examples. I don't know if you ever heard of these things. Remember when they were going to put common everyday civilians up on the moon, or at least up there high somewhere in the 80s, and they had teachers, hundreds of teachers applying to be the first teacher in, t- in outer space, and there was a lady, a lady teacher, McAllister, Mc, she beat out everybody else, and the, the man that she beat out who was the runner-up was great. was terribly disappointed because she was going to get to go, Well, the story that nobody knows, or very few people have ever heard, is that here she is supposed to be totally just excited, happy about going into space the next morning. That night, she's overwhelmed by dread and fear. She's trembling, she's crying, she can't sleep, and her best girlfriend has to stay in the bed with her all night, holding her, because she's completely beside herself. Finally, she gets it together. You know, and she's rationalizing. You know, after all, you beat out all these hundreds of people. This is a great privilege. What, what's going on? Get dressed, clean up your face, get dressed and go. And you know what happened? She blew up. And I told him about that story. And then I told him about a book that I read that was called "Johnny Come Home." And it was written by a good. Childhood friend of John F. Kennedy who knew, who, who was in touch with him just before he went to Dallas. And John F. Kennedy had a similar night about Dallas. And he rationalized, and he braced himself, and he dispelled, and you know what happened in Dallas. So I told the doctor about that, you know. And you know, Within about five minutes of our talking, he said, I'm not going. Thank you, thank you. And then we went, went on to other subjects, we're seeing patients. Thursday, I, I see him in the break room, just where have like 30 seconds in and out. He says, "He says, um, you remember that conversation that we had a while back about me going to 80?" I said, yeah. I do. He said, I want to thank you very much for your advice that you gave me. And I said, oh, did you, did you find out that it would have been like really dangerous or something You know, bad could have happened? You know what he says? No, that's not it. He said, if I had gone to Haiti, my mother would have died alone. She was crashing at the nursing home. Because I was here, I was able to help that not happen. And she had time to say everything she wanted to say and to be ready to go. She's just died. And he was happy. He he really loved loved his mother. And and at one point he told me, my mother may be the only one who's prayed for me. That was kind of interesting because I was praying for him. And I just heard this past week, I'll tell you this last thing and we'll close, that I told you about a nurse that I have started to pray for because I just felt something about her, the hope that she would be a Christian, that she would have eternal life. And then she, one morning, out of nowhere, she wanted me to listen to the music that she listens to in the mornings, and it was Christian music. Well, her life, has continued along the Christian road. And I went so far as to pray that she would have a certain surgery that would really help her personally and her health. And I just heard that early this week she successfully had the surgery, a subject that that neither one of us ever talked about until after she told me she was interested in having the surgery. So praise God. I mean, he answers prayers. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for specifics that we know about and pray for each other in a general way. We can always pray by name and say, please help them to confess their sins, be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness. We thank you, Father, for your blessing, the simplicity of of forgiveness and Christian growth. Please uh, continue to bless those we've prayed for, and those we will pray for, and bless us too, we ask. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our closing.